Let's praise God for them again, yo. Amen. Let's open up to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. They told me at the first gathering I spent too much time talking to this side of the room. Um, so if I don't look over here, just say, look over here while I'm preaching and get my attention. Pastor Doug said he was going to put my wife over there so that way I'd be forced to look at that side of the room. <laughs> Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 7. Let's read. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. Uh, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your miraculous work on the cross uh, that you uh, drank the cup of wrath that the Father had prepared uh, and satisfied his, his, his quench for justice. Uh, and we thank you that we are now able to stand uh, righteous uh, before him, not on any uh, merit of our own, but because of everything that has to do with you. And so, uh, Lord, bless your word today. Allow it to go forth with clarity uh, and allow it to go forth with power. Uh, and allow us to really meditate on what it is that you have for us today. All these things we pray in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Replacing the heart of entitlement with a heart of humility. Replacing the heart of entitlement with a heart of humility. Before we jump into this text and, and, and we walk through this parable um, that that Jesus is, is telling us. I want to give us some background information because I think it's some key background information that we need to understand and wrestle with before we can even get to what Jesus was actually telling them, right? So if, if you would, hold your finger there and jump with me to verse 1 of chapter 14 real quick. And let's, let's read it so we can just get some, some idea of the background here and the context for why Jesus even told the parable. Uh, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded uh, to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him, the man with dropsy, and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day would not immediately pull him out, and they could not reply to these things. So let's get some context real quick. It's the Sabbath, which is a holy day for them. 
uh, and Jesus was invited to uh, the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. And so when we think about the Pharisees, we, we know them to be the religious rulers of that day for Israel. Um, they were a, a group of people who was socially, that was the social upper echelon group of people. So you had to be of a certain standard, a certain type of crowd. You had to be a certain type of person uh, in order to chill with these dudes, right? And so one of the first things that we notice about this, this environment when Jesus is invited is, in verse 1 it says that they were watching him carefully. Now, those, those segments of words, watching him carefully, can be a literal translation of they were observing him maliciously or lying in wait for him, right? But what for? And we, we see in verse 2, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Something strange about this. Dropsy is a sort of a disease that has, there's a, there's, a, there's a swelling of the body that takes place. Usually that can happen from uh, like liver infections, problem with the kidneys, and so your body swells up. It's very painful. The first thing that we see from this man with dropsy being in the mist is that it's the Sabbath. He would have been considered unclean to be there at the Sabbath, right? So what are they trying to do? What are they trying to do? The Pharisees essentially had, they had strategically placed this man who normally would be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. But even apart from that, normally he wouldn't even be in their crowd just because he's him. But they had strategically placed him in such a way that when Jesus came over, Jesus, he would be right before Jesus. Basically trying to set him up, right? Now this wasn't the first time that this happens. We see, we see the Pharisees doing this all the time with him. Always trying to set him up to cause him to to, to, to uh, like, discredit himself amongst the populace, right? And so their plan here was, all right, let's put this man with dropsy in his presence, and let's see what he does. Let's see what Jesus does. And so Jesus heals him and sends him away, and then, of course, he, he stumps him like he usually does, and they're left with nothing to say. Um, and so that's the context we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a group of people who the only reason that they chose Jesus, they, they asked Jesus to even join them for dinner was so that they could get him to discredit himself and his ministry. So this is the group of people he's chilling with. Let's go back to verse 14. Um, verse, verse 7, sorry. Verse 7. <laughs> Chapter is 14. Um, first point I want to talk about. Using an invitation to perform self-exaltation using an invitation to perform self-exaltation. Verse 7, now he told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, uh, saying to them when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the place of honor. Now, usually what happens when we read this passage is we jump straight to Jesus, um, like the observation, which is a dope observation that Jesus makes about them choosing the place of honor. But I think what, you, like, what we tend to miss is uh, where, where, where the author Luke here tells us that uh, he told the parable to those who were invited. And we miss the nature of the invitation, right? Um, and so let's think about that word invitation and what that has to do with them being there. Like Jesus uses the example during this parable of a wedding feast. So I'll stick with that, that, that example of a wedding feast. For us today, like... We, you can only partake in a wedding feast if you've been invited, right? 
I know when, when me and my wife were getting married, like we, we sat down. The first thing you want to do is like you want to start going like, okay, who are we going to invite? Who do we really want to be there? And we first sat down and there were probably over 500 people on the list, right? And you know all 500 people can't come because you got to pay for people. Like if you've been married, you know that your list has a certain, like it has a cutoff point because you got to pay for everybody. And I love all of y'all here, but some of y'all I don't, well, I don't know well enough to want to pay $65 a plate for. And so, so, some, so the invitation, so in order to even get invited to a wedding, like you have to have a special relationship with who you're being invited by, right? Even sometimes we even, sometimes we, we, we want everybody to take a part of it. We don't want anybody to feel left out. So what do we do? We invite everybody to the ceremony, Right? But that's not even an invitation because the real people who are invited get an invitation to where? The reception. So what does that tell us about the invitation? Like the invitation says that there is some sort of relational intimacy between you and the host. Or it says this. There have been times where my wife has been invited to a wedding and I've been invited just on the merit of, the, of her relationship with the host. So even though I get invited, I don't know anybody there. I don't know anybody there. But because I have a certain relationship with my wife and they invite her, I therefore get an invitation. Right? And so I don't want us to overlook this, the nature of the invitation that certain people were invited. Uh, an invitation meant there was a certain amount, there was a certain intimacy or relationship with the host. Right? The issue was for them as they had basically nullified the, inf the, the invitation in and of itself because when they went there, like, they weren't going to be satisfied unless they were sitting in a place of honor, right? So they, they essentially got the invitation. Now, this isn't, this isn't some just like, like, let's come over, you come over to my crib and let's eat a bowl of cereal together. Like, this isn't what this is. Like, this was, this is one of the larger feasts, right? So you could get invited, the macaroni and cheese would be hitting, the turkey would just be, it don't be that dry turkey. It'd be that turkey that got that juice just coming from it. And they put that thick gravy on top of it. They get stuck right all up in here and stuff. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, that, like you could, it could be dope people there. It could be just dope fellowship. You know what I mean? Like, all your friends be there. Like, they even got a bowling alley in the basement and stuff. And the man cave got an 80-inch screen TV on it, and it's HD. And, and I know, like, we would be excited, right? Basically, they could care less. What they were saying was, like, I know I have an invitation, but unless I get to come and be known by everybody else, I'm not going to be satisfied. That's basically what they were saying, right? Um, and so Jesus came, you know, and he, he was invited at, uh, at a, he probably got there at a good time, and he was probably sat down by the host. And we can assume that he didn't have to choose a seat because they wanted to position him accordingly so they could sit the man with dropsy in front, of, in front of him, right? And so Jesus got there, and he's, he's chilling, and he's looking back, and he's looking at these dudes come in and elbow each other and run for the seat and push each other out the way. And I can just imagine him just sitting back like, these clowns must have done lost their mind. Um, and so we, we, like, this is what, it's basically mayhem going on. Jesus is sitting back, and he's watching how nobody comes in. Like, they don't even talk to it. Their first priority is to get to the position, right? And so, so another example of that would be like at the airport, 
I know some of us, like if you fly off, then you'll probably, you'll probably appreciate this or you don't, I don't really appreciate it, but I understand it. When, when you get ready to land, what happens? The flight attendant, she stands up, jumps on the mic and she says, please grab your personal belongings. Make sure they're stored safely underneath your seat. Make sure you're seated and your seatbelt is, is buckled and the, the seatbelt light is going to come on. So please make sure everybody's seated. Now, Usually what happens? They make that announcement, right? And what happens? Before she can even get off the mic, people are standing up, grabbing all their bags, and stumbling down the aisle, pushing her out the way, just so they can be at the, the first one at the door when the plane lands, right? They don't even let her get it out her mouth, and people are already pushing out the way to get to the front of the plane. Why? So they don't have to wait behind everybody else. I don't want to wait behind no slow single mom with three kids and all her bags. Right? I deserve to be at the front. I got, I'm important. I deserve to be up there. And so basically, what, we, basically what, what they were saying as they pushed past each other to get to that position, what they were saying was, I am the most important person in my life. And my firstness is essential to who I am. And it takes priority. It's all about my firstness. I don't know if that's a word, but Doug told me I could use it, so... And so what was happening was, there was Jesus, was, Jesus was noticing that they were having entitlement issues. There were entitlement issues going on amongst the Pharisees as, as, they, were, as they were like barging in for those seats, right? What Webster defines entitlement as this. It says entitlement is, uh, Webster is not actually a person. Was he a person? The dictionary Webster. I don't know if he was a person, but. He was a person. So I, I guess that's why it's called Webster then. <laughs> Entitlement, Webster says, is a right to benefits specified especially by law or contract. A guarantee of access to benefits because of rights or by agreement through law. This is the one I like, though. I like this, this, this one. He says, it's the belief that one is deserving of certain privileges. The belief that one is deserving of certain privileges. And so this was, the, this was the type of people that we were talking about, that the Pharisees were. They were proud, lovers of self. Like they were all about social status, the exaltation of themselves in the eyes of men. And they were struggling with entitlement issues because they, des they felt that they deserved to be there. They had earned that right to sit in those places because they had been invited solely on the basis of them being invited, right? And so this was an issue even outside of the Pharisees. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had to address this issue with the Pharisees. There were other times in Scripture where Jesus, if you look at Mark, uh, now Luke 11, chapter 43, he says, he says this, he says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. And so what, either this group of Pharisees didn't hear him say that and weren't there, or they just didn't care, Right? But see, this wasn't even just an issue with the Pharisees. Turn, keep your finger there and turn over to Mac, Matthew, Matthew, blah, 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 blah. Matthew chapter 20. Keep your finger there and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Because this wasn't even an issue amongst the Pharisees. I think this was a cultural issue amongst everybody because he even had to address his own disciples about their desire to sit in places of honor, right? Let's look at Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee 
came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Basically, they deserve to sit there. Like, tell them that they deserve to sit there. Um, 22, Jesus answered, do you not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And so we see this, we see even his disciples are, well, two of his disciples are having issues with thinking ahead and wanting to be exalted above everybody else. And so you got two grown men now that have gone to their mom and asked their mom to ask Jesus this. I could see, I I know some, some guys are like, they're really close to their moms. Sometimes we call them mama's boys. I could see that sometimes to an extent even, because you, you got man up, dog. But, but when you got two brothers, grown men, that had jobs and families and left their jobs and families to walk with Jesus, and then you're going to go ask your mom to ask him a question? But look what Jesus does. After she asks him the question, right, in verse 22, he doesn't even respond to her. She ain't even in the conversation no more. Like, she asks him the question, and he turns to them and says, do you know what you're even asking? Mind you, in the passage right before that, what was Jesus talking about? He was telling them that he was going to have to be scourged, beaten, and he was going to be crucified. He did say he was going to rise from the dead, so I don't want to overlook that. But he stressed to them that he was going to have to die, and it wasn't going to be pretty. And so they asked him, like, yo, so he asked them, can you drink the cup that I can drink? And these fools said yes. They didn't understand what in the world they was asking. And so he says, can you drink the cup? They said, yeah. He was like, all right, cool. I'm going to give it to you, but you still can't have those seats that you want. <laughs> right? And he says, he, says, he says, okay, you can drink the cup, but I can't give you those seats because they've already been prepared for particular people. Right? And look at verse 26, because then he, he gets to the principle of, of, of something, something special here. He says, whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. Verse 28, even as the son of man came, not to be served, but not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right. And so, like, what do, what do we get for this? What do we what do, what do we what are we trying to understand here? When we get to eternity and get to enjoy eternity with God, there's going to be assigned seats. There are going to be assigned seats when we get to glory and. Our assigned seating is going to be based on the level of faithfulness and service that we give to the kingdom here on earth. But hold up, Kurt. Are you saying that we have to earn our seats in the kingdom? I'm glad you asked. No, there is absolutely no way that you can earn your seat in the kingdom. Again, we said entitlement means that you deserve or you think you deserve certain privileges and rights. If you could earn your seat, then that means you've earned it by a merit of your own and you have the right to claim it, which means what? That you can boast in your ability to, that you've earned that seat. 
right? Now, I want to I read this quote from, I want to read this quote from F.F. Bruce. Because there's been a lot, there's been, a, uh, the Apostle Paul has talked a lot about this, this relationship between law and grace, right? And how we're to view it and how we apply active, uh, actively this, this relationship between law and grace to our lives. And so he uses an example of Paul's life um, to, to get us to understand this concept of how we get seated based on our uh, service and faithfulness to the kingdom, but it's not earned through our service to the kingdom, right? Stay with F.F. Bruce. Paul's hope before he became a Christian was that by dint of perseverance in observing the law of God, he might at length be pronounced righteous by God when he stood before his judgment seat. Basically, Paul, in his observance and his obedience to the law, at the end of his life when he dies, stood before the Lord, he would be judged righteous based on his life. Right? Y'all with me? Okay. God, uh, but in this way of righteousness apart from the law, the procedure is reversed. God pronounces believers righteous at the beginning of their course and not at the end of it. If he pronounces them righteous at the beginning of their course, it cannot be on the basis of works which they have done. Such justification is, on the contrary, an act of God's free grace where he then pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Let's look at verse 8. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Mistaking visibility... For credibility. Mistaking visibility for credibility. <laughs> Again, what was the purpose of, the, of sitting in these places of honor? The purpose of sitting in these places of honor was to garner attention for them. They wanted to be seen in the public view. And the closer that you were to the host, the more exalted you were before the eyes of men. Right. But but what happens when we give public recognition to somebody who may not deserve to sit in that seat? Are we not at fault sometimes for exalting men when we see them on the basis of their position and not on the merits of their heart? Because that's what happens. Sometimes we see per sometimes we see people and they're always serving. They're always active. And we say, oh, that, bro Yo, that brother, is he loves the Lord. He's serving the Lord. And we exalt these cats sometimes. And we know absolutely nothing about their intentions, absolutely nothing about their hearts. All we know is that we always see them. And we mistake that for their spiritual maturity. We mistake that for their love for the kingdom. And so that's dangerous. It becomes dangerous because we see this man, we, like, for them... Like their, their motivation was to get into that seat, right? And so once they get into that seat, they may even stay in that seat for a little while because maybe the host hasn't come. Maybe that one person who deserves to sit there hasn't come yet. And so the host doesn't see, you know, he doesn't see fit to move him just yet. And so he lets him sit in the seat a little longer. 
But what happens? Everybody around the table begins to look at this person and they begin to think, oh man, I wonder what they did to get there. I wonder what kind of relationship they have with the host. And so we start assuming things about the person that's sitting in the position. We start giving them like characteristics that they may not have. We just start assuming a whole bunch of good things about them just because they're sitting next to the host for the moment. And so some of the dangers, like I said, was mistaking that they have spiritual maturity, right? What's another one? We invest a lot. Now, what are th these dangers that I'm going to, I'm thinking more so for us because this wasn't necessarily their issue here, right? But I'm thinking in our context, when we see people who have been exalted and we don't know that they've been exalted by the right person, then these are some of the dangers that we get, that we get into when we assume they are who they are because of false information or incomplete information, right? And so sometimes we think that people are more spiritually mature than they should, than, than they actually are. What happens? We invest too much into people and we start to, we start to, desire that like the focus comes solely onto the position that they have and not the one who gave them the position and then what happens so so much of our focus is is geared towards where they're sitting that we start to aspire for that spot and not the one who gave that spot and in that like they become the standard of what we ultimately want to attain and Christ becomes diminished Right? Let's look at verse, verse 10. Verse 10. Um, lost my place. Uh, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that your host or when your host comes to you, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. When humility no longer means you're humble. When humility no longer means you're humble. Now, common Jewish custom or common sense practice was they would tell you when you get invited somewhere, don't sit, don't sit where you're supposed to sit. Go, go three or four spots down from where you're supposed to sit, right? That way, you ain't got nowhere to go but up. You don't got to worry about embarrassment. If anything, they'll move you up further and then you get to say, aha, right? And so that's what Jesus, that's, I mean, that's what they would tell each other as just a, a, a common sense custom. Just go a couple seats down so that, that way they, they can move you up, right? But Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus isn't saying that. So let's look at, so let's look at what Jesus is not saying about this and what he is saying about this. What he's not saying, he's, he's not saying that you should just do this to try and avoid embarrassment, right? Because he, he's, I don't want you to just go in there and take the lowest seat just because you don't want to be embarrassed. Because then it's, it's not about you. I mean, it's still about you, sorry. It's still about you. Like you want to take the, you don't want to take the lowest seat because you want to be embarrassed, but like you still are worrying about yourself. What Jesus also is not saying, don't put on stage humility. Don't put on stage humility. Jesus, like he hates pride that acts like it's humble. 
And so he's, he, say, he said, I don't want you to just go take the, don't take the lowest seat just so that they can move you up. What's the difference between, be, uh, besides you already taking the highest seat? You might as well go to the highest seat and save yourself the trouble of sitting at the end and having to walk down to the other end of the table. Because what does, what, does, what does a false humility say? It says, I want people to notice how humble I am so therefore I can be exalted. We have a, we have a way about us of, of using deception to try to get what we want without making it seem like we really want what we're trying to get. Right? I know I do that with my wife too. I'm about to expose myself too. But there are, there are sometimes if I want something from my wife, I put on the, the little sad puppy eyes and, and the, little, the little pouty face. That still works sometimes, fellas. If you're married, if you're married. Amen, amen. But there are some times where I can put on the little, the puppy dog eyes and the pouty face and, and I can maneuver and weave my way through a situation not like because I want to attain something and I do that so that my wife thinks I'm actually want something else when I act and then I fool her into thinking that I want something else and she gives me what she didn't think I wanted but it was only to get what I actually wanted in the first place. I don't do that all the time. Lord, forgive me, Jesus. But... I'm just giving you all an example. It happens. We do that. Right? So what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I want you to have a right assessment of who you are. That's what, that's what the righteousness of God is. The righteousness of God says that Jesus has a perfect assessment of who he is and his value and worth. And then everything flows from that. And so Jesus wants us to have a right assessment of ourselves. He doesn't want us to assume superiority over everybody else and therefore uh, try to attain that the highest position possible. But he also doesn't want us to, to be so lowly that we're still trying to garner the same kind of attention. And so he's saying, I want you to have a right perspective of who you are. You're, I want your identity of who you are and then a clear assessment of the relationship that you have to the host to be right. So therefore, you can properly dissect where you should be sitting. What he's saying, don't regard men's opinions too highly. I know that's, that's an issue. We struggle with that. We struggle with that. They struggle with this here. That was their main issue. They wanted to be seen and exalted in the eyes of men. And we do the same things. We do the same things. We will try to, like, we, we, want, we want people to confirm what we're doing, which isn't a bad thing. It isn't a bad thing. Like, there's nothing wrong with wanting the acceptance of others and wanting others to confirm what you're doing and okay what you're doing and okay who you are. But when that becomes the chief end, it becomes all about you and less about other people. Right? It's okay to be put in a place of honor as long as, as you're not the one who puts yourself there. I say that in light of the context of this passage is those who exalt themselves. And so I don't want to diminish the fact that God exalts man. And he does so in the eyes of other men, right? So I don't want to downplay the reality that God does exalt men. What I'm saying is it's okay to be in a position where you are 
esteemed above men, right? As long as you're not the one who put you there. Let God work through other men and other people to esteem you. Don't allow yourself to esteem yourself first and then garner the attention of, the, of other men and nobody put you there. What he is saying, have a right assessment of who you are. Don't regard men's opinions too highly. And it's okay to be in a place of honor. Just don't put yourself there. Let's look at verse 11. Um, then I'm almost, I'm almost done. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this is the, this is the point of Jesus' whole parable. This is, this is the main thesis of the parable. The exaltation of the humble and the humbling of those who have exalted themselves. And as I began to look at this passage, um, I began to think, like, do we even believe this? Do we even believe that the humble get exalted and the exalted ones get humbled? And so I, start to, I started to look around at different things to try to see if I could even see that. Like if that was even real or if this was just, you know, a good advice tip, right? Think, think about like if you're looking for a job, if you're looking for a job, are they looking for humble people? Heck No. What do, they, want a, they want ambitious people. They want people who have made a name for themselves, who, who have proven that they des, They want to know why you think you deserve to be there, even though you haven't done anything yet. Right? Like, their measure of, they want successful people. And success to them is how much you've already accomplished to the glory of yourself. What about politics? I don't think you ever see that in politics. I don't know if I've ever seen a humble politician. The point of the election is to degrade and, and throw as much dirt on the other person as you can, just so you can stand head and shoulders above them. It's about making a name for yourself. It's about your desire to be superior to all other candidates, right? What about, what about professional athletes? T.O., I know he's got some T.O. fans in here. He's a good football player, but he sucks when it comes to humility. I know we all struggle at some level, but... Oh, what about LeBron? I know LeBron is a beast on the basketball court, but you want to know what LeBron's goal is? LeBron wants to be the first athlete who's worth 100... Is it 100 or a billion? A billion dollars. That's not, he's not talking about how much he makes. He said, I want, I want my, the value of myself to be worth a billion dollars. I want to be the first one. I want to establish myself apart from the crowd by being the first one worth a billion dollars. What about entertainers? I was thinking about Kanye West. I think wherever we look in the Bible and we see the word fool, we should have his picture there.
that Kanye, if you ever hear this, I love you, please come to Jesus, but you're a fool. Right? Kanye is all about, he, Kanye is so about himself. This made me, ah, I'm glad I wasn't there, Lord Jesus, help me. Kanye is so about himself. At the last award show, that, that little girl, Taylor Swift, was up there trying to get her award. And this dude had the nerve to run up there and snatch the mic and start talking about somebody other than himself getting the award. He wasn't even up for the nomination in that category. That's how much about himself he was. That he would go to that length. So, like, where do we, like, do we even, like, is this, is this a realistic principle? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exhausted. I mean, exa- exhausted. <laughs> they will be exhausted. <laughs> if you ask David, he's probably exhausted many times. But, like, when we see David, like, how many times in the Psalms did we see David say, Lord, how long will you have my enemies above me right and so what does Jesus say Jesus this isn't just uh this isn't just a run-of-the-mill practical application he's saying I want you to have eternal perspective when we start talking about exaltation and humility I want you to have an eternal perspective because your humility might not grant you exaltation in this life and and if the exalted aren't humbled in this life they will be when they come face to face with me I want you to have an eternal perspective. This is more than just trying to grab the seat next to the host. This is more than that. I want you to think about the implications of when you come stand face to face with me. What about in the church? Don't we do the same things? Like it seems like even in the church, we only exalt those who exalt themselves. Dudes walking by with armor bearers and security guards. And they throw down rose petals as he walks. Looking like coming to America. Mason said he not no dude if they throw rose petals down in front of him. But we, 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 do, we do the same thing. We exalt those who exalt themselves and everybody else gets overlooked. Right? Now, why do we feel sometimes, or what are some things that cause us to feel like we need to exalt ourselves, or we deserve, or we have this sense of entitlement that says we deserve particular things? One of them is age. Age. Like, you just, some, you, you can get to a particular age. There's just an age you get to where you can say whatever you want. You can think whatever you want. Can't nobody tell you nothing. And, and I know to some extent, like, some extent, like, you've earned through your, like, walking through life. Like, you have a level of experience and, and all of that stuff. But that don't mean that you can just do whatever you want to do. And that your boundaries and limitations, like, shouldn't close your mouth off sometimes. And sometimes, I, sometimes we even say that. Uh, he's just so old. You can't even, you can't tell him nothing. You ain't going to learn nothing from him. You can't, like, or they can't learn nothing from you. You can't teach them nothing. Their age has entitled them to be able to do whatever they want, right? What else? Experience. Sometimes we just experience so much. And granted, there are many of us who have experienced a lot of things at an early age that we necessarily maybe shouldn't have had to. But experience shouldn't be the teacher. 
right? And so sometimes we, we, we take experience and we say, yo, because I've, because I've endured this amount and this much time, like I'm entitled to do what I want now. My years of struggling are over. My years of humility are done. I've been humble long enough. What about knowledge? Sometimes we know too much for our own good. Sometimes we, and we know knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Right? And so, when we feel like we're entitled to certain things, um, we, make, we make our desires our chief end, our desire to be seen, our desire to be esteemed before the eyes of men, to be exalted. We make that our chief end. And we, 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 when, when, when you have established this sense of entitlement and you think you deserve it and it has to be yours, you, you'll hurt anybody you have to to get what you want. And not only that, but what you're essentially saying is, like, entitlement usually occurs when you don't have something, but you want something that you think you deserve. And essentially, when, you, when, when that happens, what you're saying is, I'm not satisfied with anything that God has given, and what he has given isn't enough. I'll close with this. I'll close with this. As we look at this passage, Jesus is trying to get a point across. And he says, he says, I don't want you to be so concerned about being exalted in the eyes of men that you nullify and even distract yourself from being known in the eyes of God. And so I'll, I'll say this, our, our, our worth, and he wants us to know what our worth and our value is. He, he never says that he doesn't want us to know who we are. He always, he always points it back to himself, knowing who we are in him. But he, he wants us to know what our worth and our value is. And when we know what our worth and our value is, that helps us establish, like, how we choose a seat and how we accept and receive the invitation in and of itself, Right? But in our knowing our worth and our value, essentially, essentially, we're, we're only worth as much as what was paid for us. We're only worth as much as what was paid for us. So if, for instance, if you tell me that your house is worth $140,000 and you put it on the market and it sells for $5, I don't care what you tell me, your house is worth $5. Don't tell me your house is worth $140,000 if somebody just bought it for $5, Right? So when it comes to our value and our, our worth, what was paid? What was paid? The Lord Jesus. And so when we, when we entitle ourselves to particular things, ultimately what we're saying is Jesus wasn't enough. The worth of my life is more than the worth of his and essentially, I'm, I'll pay for myself. I'll pay for myself. We just sang a song. My former pride, I call my shame. What was my gain? I count my loss. 
as I nail my glory to the cross. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the exalted one. Um, that our worth and our value has consistent, consistently uh, been uh, found in you being exalted above all else. God, pray, I, I pray that we would deal with uh, times when we feel we're entitled to things that aren't ours and we covet things that aren't ours and we want to be seen in the eyes of men. I pray that our focus and our, our soul, passion, and desire would be to be satisfied in you and you alone. And so, God, we thank you for relationships. We thank you for the fellowship of the brethren. But I, I pray, God, that it never overshadows the relationship that we're to have with you. And so, God, I, I just pray that your, your word would be life for our eyes, a lamp to our feet, and power to our souls. All this in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.